I'm Jerry Taker. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and drug addict. All right. Uh, I guess the end thing nowadays is your, your bona fides, right? Um, I'm from Fresno. My, uh, my sobriety date is January 29th, 1990. And I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. And I have people that I sponsor. A couple of them are actually here tonight. Um, I don't know. That's the thing everybody seems to do nowadays, so I do it. Um, for the record, I basically have one day of sobriety. That's today. I have 8,590 yesterdays to remind me, to give me strength to know that I don't ever have to drink and use today, no matter what. Um, Let's see, a little bit of my story, what it was like. Um, and I'm not big on drunkologues, um, you know, what it was like when I drank, the things that I did. You know, took a consensus of everybody here. You combined, you all drank like I drank, and you all did the things that I did, and you all felt as bad as I felt. Um, for me, um, I guess part of my story that I like to talk about is, is knowing that I am an alcoholic and, and how it started. Um, back getting sober in the 90s, you know, that was like that neo-hippie era there. You know, so we had lots of things that we talked about that I don't hear much about today. But uh, nature versus nurture was a big thing. Was I born an alcoholic or did I become an alcoholic? And, and the bottom line doesn't matter. I'm standing here today an alcoholic, so it doesn't matter how I got to be one. But, you know, I, I do remember um, there was a, uh, my parents used to watch Hollywood Squares, and there was a question on there that was true or false, you can get drunk on water. And I remember the answer being true, that uh, that you could get drunk on water. Now I know what more about it than I did then. But the reason that was important is that we were flying back to see my sister in Florida, we got on a plane, and I was like seven, eight years old, and I kept the stewardess running the whole time bringing me water because I was going to get drunk because I was flying because that's what TV said you do when you fly. No idea what drunk was, never saw anybody drunk, but I knew that's what I wanted to be. Um, I, uh, my father felt that mowing the lawn would teach you know, important life lessons. So a little over eight years old, eight and a half, so um, he had me out there mowing the lawn with him. But at the end, when we got done, he'd crack open a beer, and then once or twice a week he'd drink, and that would be one of his drinks. He'd have a beer after mowing the lawn. And so he handed me the can of beer, about half empty, and I finished it. And, and he was absolutely right. I learned two important life lessons. I learned that I was allergic to grass. And I learned that that beer solved every problem I had. I felt better. I wasn't scared. I wasn't out of place. That, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I didn't know what was happening or, or that somebody knew something that I didn't know. All those feelings that I lived every minute of my life I wasn't from, those went away with that beer. And I felt better. I felt okay and happy. And I wanted more. I knew that was the feeling I wanted to have always the rest of my life. And um, 
it was uh, it was several years before I got to, but I, I have a brother that's 20 years older than I had. He passed away this year, but um, from the effects of untreated alcoholism. But he um, moved to, back to Fresno when I was about 12 or 13 years old, and um, he was a full-blown alcoholic and drank daily. And so I would get to go over and visit him on the weekends to reconnect with my brother that I didn't know, and I got to drink on the weekends with him. And uh, it wasn't long before that uh, drinking on the weekends wasn't quite enough either because, you know, I had that, the whole school week in between, and, and I felt really uncomfortable around other kids in school, and, and they all seemed to know how to get along with each other, and they knew how to play games and talk to each other, and um, and I didn't. Um, and so it, it, by junior high school, I was keeping a bottle in my locker in school. Um, I liked McCarty 151. It was quick and easy. You didn't have to spend a lot of time drinking between classes. Um, and I went through most of my, my high school, pretty much all of my junior high and high school, with a buzz of some kind going on. Um, my story also includes drugs. I'm not going to try and code it for, you know, secrecy and call it other substances or outside issues. It was, it was methamphetamine and cocaine and marijuana, and, um, and I used as much of all of the above as I could whenever it was available. Um, I, I am duly addicted, so that is a serious part of my story. But I'm not going to dwell on it, mainly because it, my story isn't so much about what I drank or used or what I did, but what I felt. And I, um, I ended up sent to AA meetings because I got two drunk drivings um, in my senior year or junior or senior year high school. Um, I was uh, 17 or so and going to meetings and going to the alcohol awareness classes and I learned that people who drank like I drank and people who drank like I drank for the reasons I drank were alcoholics. So I would go to the meeting, get my court card signed, go rent a movie across the, the parking lot from it, and then my, since I didn't have a driver's license, the girlfriend at the time would drive me back to either her house or my house or when I got thrown out the place I was renting and I'd get drunk and beat her. And I would do these things because I was an alcoholic. And when I'd go to parties and uh, my friends who drank like I did would, would stand there and bogart the keg and people would give us lip about it, we'd tell them we're alcoholics, we're doing our job, shut up. And I became, rather than a tool of recovery, just an excuse for my behavior. And uh, I managed to avoid the DUI for roughly seven years, but uh, I was... 24 years old, I'd just gotten thrown out of the Navy behind my behavior. Didn't actually include drinking until after I was thrown out, but um, I was not compatible with the military the way I thought and acted. Go figure. Um, got back to town, big party, and got my uh, third DUI, and they sentenced me to a year in county jail. And um, so I hit county jail behind my drinking 
and came to the bright decision that what we ought to do with Super Bowl Sunday coming up is make some pruno. So uh, my sobriety date of January 29th is actually Super Bowl. Um, we got we drank our pruno on Super Bowl. That was my last drink. And I got lit enough to get good and belligerent and start a fight over a cigarette with a fellow. And um, when I looked at myself in the mirror in the infirmary, all busted nose, raccoon eye, beaten up, I had my first moment of clarity. I realized that I was now in an even smaller little jail behind drinking in the jail that I was in behind drinking and not only was alcoholism my excuse for my behavior but it was a problem and I could admit that this was a problem in my life and I, I had been I guess I kind of jumped I've been attending each of my meetings from the moment I got to jail because you know the jailhouse lawyers said you go to those and you tell the judge how good you're doing and you'll get out early um, so I'd already been going and um and after I, when I got out of the infirmary and was back in the uh, the fishbowl in Fresno, um, the the main jail now, so I was out of the work farm when I got drunk. I had all the freedom in the world, so I decided so I threw that away because that's what alcoholics do, right? Um, so I started attending the H and I there, and there was a fellow that talked about getting sober that uh, he. Uh, he looked at himself in the mirror the day after and, and he would just the shame and the remorse and the guilt behind what he had done and, and looking in the mirror at that lousy SOB looking back at him he'd swear he didn't ever want to do that again and he'd do anything not to have to do that again and he'd know that that night he was going to do it again and he felt utterly defeated and unable to do anything about the situation and ashamed at the look in his wife's eyes. And I, uh, I had already tried to commit suicide several times. It started out trying to get other people to shoot me. Um, and had that not working, then I tried to, to overdose, um, drove myself up into the mountains and uh, tried to overdose and uh, came to to a fellow trying to get me to move my car off the road because I was blocking it. Um, and uh, I just wanted to die rather than live like I was living, rather than to continue doing the things that I was doing. Um, it seemed like a better idea to to die than to, to live like I was, and I didn't know there was any other way. And the fellow in, in HMI talking about that, the guy he was looking at in the mirror made absolute sense to me. Um, I understood what he meant, and in my case it wasn't the wife, but it was the, the my mother, school teachers, um, and my girlfriend to look in their eye over what I had done um, and, and knowing that I had no choice in the matter. Um, 
and that made sense to me. And I, I believed that if he could get sober, I could get sober. I, I quit looking at the differences. I quit looking at all the things. Because again, I'm 24 years old at this time. Um, I had lived in my parents' house and then in a little apartment, okay, a converted garage on the alley that I had rented. And um, I, you know, I had gone to high school and I'd taken a part-time job and gone to college and got kicked out of college, taken a full-time job. Um, I'd never, you know, the only vehicles I'd, I, actually, I guess I did own a motor, I owned a 200cc motorcycle, um, 250cc motorcycle, and that I wrecked and wasn't able to ride in anymore, fine drinking, um, but I was still, like, borrowing my parents' car, there was, there were none of these things that people talked about losing, when they, when they talked about careers that they had lost, and marriages, and houses, um, I didn't get those. But when the guy talked about losing the respect in his wife's eyes, the losing the respect for himself that he saw in the mirror, I understood that loss. It wasn't a matter of the material items that I had thrown away behind this, that I'd given away, but it was it was the feelings that I had behind it, the utter pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that the book talks about. Shame, guilt, remorse, fear, anguish, all those things were the ones that I knew and I could relate to. And um, so I kept going to the HMI meetings. I did send my little letter off to the judge and, and asked, you know, can you please let me out early because I'm such a nice boy. And, um, and I got a big book from the H&I group and uh, I started reading through it because Joe provides a lot of time for that um, I'm a good alcoholic though he said read the first 164 pages for the, for the program of recovery so I immediately went to the second part of it where there were stories but uh, in reading those and, and, and today when I sponsor somebody new I tell them we're going to start with the first 164 pages and, um, but the truth is, you know, the stories in the back of the book are really, really important. Those are the things where I read about people feeling like I was feeling and thinking like I thought and suffering the consequences that I did without having meetings to go to. So sitting in that jail cell, it was really, really important. I got one H9 meeting a week, but I got a lot of H9 meetings reading this section out of the big book. It, it meant a lot to me, and I could really relate to what I was reading in it when I was looking for the things that were similar. Um, but I, I then turned back to the first 164 pages, and I got to the third step prayer. And in that jail cell, on my knees, I read the third step prayer to basically the God that the fellow that brought the H&I meetings in talked about. Um, no real concept of my own. And within a couple of weeks of that, I got called to go visit the judge. That He got my letter. And he told me that the letter, you know, the request for modification of my sentence, there's no way he was going to do anything like that. It's not the first one he'd seen. But it turns out 
my parents had forwarded him a letter that I got. I'd applied for the IRS before I got turned myself into jail. And they called me back for a second interview. And the judge was going to let me out of jail to go to the second interview because maybe I'd get a job and make something of myself. And I walked out of the jail the next day knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that nobody gets released from jail for a job interview. And for the first time, I actually knew and believed in my heart that there was a power greater than myself that was looking out for me, that was willing to take care of me if I would let him. And I, uh, I went that night. I walked out of the jail and I walked to the nearest bus stop where my best dealer was sitting at the bus stop going to pick up. I also learned that my my higher power has a great sense of humor. You just got, got to be willing to laugh sometimes. And I bummed a cigarette and I walked the rest of the way to my parents' house because um, I was afraid to get on any bus and run into anybody else that I knew because I didn't think I could say no again. And that night I went to a meeting at the... Uh, Fresno's a lot with it. Well, we used to have the ODAC club in Fresno, um, one day at a time club, which is kind of like an Alano club, only a lot smaller, a lot darker, a lot smokier, and really scary. And um, it, was, it, was, it was really a, a great place, and, and I, we've got a lot of the meetings that formed out of the ODAC still around in Fresno. But I went there that night um, because it was right near my parents' house. And I came in, and the, it was filled with smoke, and there were people that I was terrified of sitting there. And when I sat down, they moved away from me. I thought I was a badass. Turned out they were afraid when they didn't know whether I was going to projectile vomit or have a seizure or knock the tables over. Um, but I went to a meeting that night. And I have not found it necessary to drink or use since then. Um, I have done absolutely everything wrong in this program, except I haven't drank or used one day at a time. Um, It would be great if that meeting was the first of many, but in fact, for probably my first six months, that might have been one of four or five. Um, I did go to meetings... Uh, I'm going to say somewhere around six months dry time, I went to a meeting and um, it was a, a, a well, actually, no, I, I, I met the fellow. I went to a meeting and I met the fellow that brought H&I in and I asked him to sponsor me. That's when I quit going to meetings, which so many of you that have asked for me to sponsor and then I never see you again, I do understand. It's exactly what I did. Um, but I quit going, you know, I... I, I Went to meetings occasionally, once a month or so, if I was desperate. Um, hung out with the same people that I always did. Uh, got involved in a relationship because, see, I was in a relationship when I got sober. So I thought, since I broke up with her because she wouldn't get sober, that was the loophole in that don't get into a relationship for the first year. Good alcoholic thinking. Um, I picked a normie. Not a normie. Um, second date, where did you want to go? How about the bar? Um, 
You know, I, I, I've done everything that you are not supposed to do. I really, really have. Um, I don't recommend it to anybody. Um, hanging out with the old friends was really, really dangerous for me. Uh, actually, the, the normie, not a normie that I was involved with, we had a, we went out to the, listen to music at a bar with my friends. And um, we got into an argument and she stormed off. And so I was feeling sorry for myself and hanging out in a bar with my old drinking and using friends, feeling sorry for myself, not a good place for a recovering alcoholic. And a friend of mine turns to me and says, man, I know you're trying not to drink these days, but that's a bummer. Why don't I buy you a light beer? And finally, the light went on. I am in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time. What the hell am I doing if I'm trying to stay sober? And I, uh, I went home that night and I, I called my sponsor and I met him over at a meeting where he went to meetings, um, which um, the really good meetings there, and, and we still have meetings in that same facility, um, not as many anymore. Uh, but. Uh, a fellow was sharing about what got him into recovery was when they repossessed his boat. And I went home and I called my sponsor and said, I'm not sure I understand what they're talking about there. So he directed me over to Fresno Fellowship um, in Fresno. And uh, I, he went met me at Fresno Fellowship and introduced me to a few people and I stayed for a meeting and I found my higher power. There was this redhead sitting in the back of the room that was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And that kept me going to that meeting for about six months. Um, never said a word to her, never got the courage to say anything. And as a matter of fact, she did not remain sober and she died behind this disease. But at least it got my happy ass there. Um, it, and... Uh, I stayed around for her, and I found a higher power that I could believe in, in the program. Um, I heard a lot of people share from the heart what was really going on with them. And I met some people that uh, rode motorcycles and, and had a club that they rode with in sobriety called the Fifth Chapter, and they invited me to come to some of their events. And... Um, I ended up becoming a pass holder with the Fifth Chapter Motorcycle Club, and which for about a year until they were closed, and then some other friends that I had met through them um, had their own club called Sierra Outriders Motorcycle Club, and I became a pass holder with that club, and over the course of the next few years ended up becoming the president of that club. And... Um, we carried the message to place to people who don't come in here to get the message. Um, and, and it did some really, really good things for my sobriety. Um, it, it, it taught me a lot about how to accept everyone and everything as it is um, without judgment. Uh, it, 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 allowed me to see that this disease affects everyone from the people who get both street possessed to the, the people who um, you know, scrape barnacles off of boats and everything in between. Um, 
and afforded me the opportunity to, to meet alcoholics from all over the state and all walks of life and um, carry the message to others. I, uh, back to the, the steps of this program now, I, I hovered on that, uh, that third step that I took in jail um, probably till about a year and a half sober. Um, I, I had had the, gone in and out of a relationship with the normie, not a normie. Um, we, we broke up, got together, broke up kind of thing. Um, white knuckling my recovery, parroting what I heard in meetings from other people, um, finally ran out and I was left. I'd lost the job. I, you know, I got all the things back and I drifted away again is what it comes down to. And, um, and I lost the job, and I lost her, and I lost the apartment, and I was back to sitting on the, the floor of the apartment wanting to die again, um, seriously considering suicide behind, you know, it's not working for me. Um, and another, one more time in my life, you know, what I did is I did the, 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 the real third step prayer. Um, and I, I sat in the dark in that apartment that was, I was about to lose with nothing left in the, the place, really. And I said, help me, God. I can't do this anymore. I, I need you, and I can't go on like this. And um, turns out that the lady that lived downstairs worked in mental health, and uh, she came by this because she hadn't seen me in a few days. And she had her husband take me over to, uh, to mental health and uh, got me treated for the depression I was going through and got me back into meetings and, um, and saved my ass. And I went to a speaker meeting um, and, and heard this, this old biker speaking in Madeira. And after the meeting, you know, I was told, you know, you go up and you shake the speaker's hand afterwards. And so I go up to shake his hand, and he looks me in the eyes. He's got these steel blue eyes that just, just look right through you. And I could tell that he'd been places that I'd been and done things that I had done. And he looked at me, and he just says, you could be a lot happier than you are today. Why don't you get my number and give me a call? And... Uh, so I called him, and he became my sponsor, and he said, you know, uh, part of the reason it's not working for you is you're not working it, and so we need to get you on steps, and we need to get you on a fourth step. And so I, you know, he says, get your big book out and read it, and we'll do a fourth step. So I uh, went to a fourth step workshop and filled out a form that they had there, and I took it back to him. and. And he said, uh, you must have misunderstood me. I said, get your big book out and read the fourth step and work on it. And so I went to uh, listen to a speaker tape, the John Charlie speaker tapes on the fourth step, and filled out the little form that they had at that, that meeting thing. And I went back to him, and uh, he looked it over and said, well, we'll save this. This might work for part of your fifth step now. Do you own a big book? He had me get my big book out and go over the fourth step as it's laid out in the big book. First thing he had me do is right at the top of the page, keep it simple, stupid. Quit complicating it. Quit looking for the shortcut. Quit looking for a way out. Do 
it like it says. And we went through and we did a fourth step. And afterwards, we immediately took care of a fifth step. And I shared, you know, the, the secrets that I was never going to tell anybody. And he smiled. <laughs> Let me tell you what, some of the things I've done. He told me about some of the things that he never would tell anybody. Um, he also told me that there's absolutely nothing I've done that he didn't think about doing, do think about doing, or would have done under the same circumstances. And if he took a, a I went to a large meeting and talked to everybody about it, everything I did, somebody there has done, would have done, or thought about doing. We're not unique. We're not different. We're not special. We're just alcoholics. We have a head that tells us that nobody has ever felt like this before. i got a friend who is an army, and he, he talks about stuff, and he goes, you know, I'm sure everybody's felt like this, but it's like, that's why he's an army. He assumes everybody has felt like he feels. I assume no one has ever suffered like this before. <laughs> that, that's the major difference between us. Um, I went through and I, I made my amends to people. It, it, I really, I, I honestly, I have still people on the amends list. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of things I did that um, there's no statute of limitations on. Um, if these people, you know, he, he sat down with me and he says, we're going to make up a couple different lists here. We're going to do the amends that you're going to do. We're going to do the amends that, uh, that, that really aren't your part in this. You may have had something wrong, but you need to understand that this is part of life sometimes. That one, is, by the way, for anyone who's new, don't think you, you get off easy. That was a very, very short list. Um, but we also made a list of the amends that I am not going to go see these people and put myself in harm's way. I don't do anybody any good dead um, or in prison. But they come walking through the doors of the meeting. I get to walk up to them and say, hey, we need to talk. And, um, and it has happened in sobriety. In the last, actually, in just the last couple of years, there's been a fellow that... Uh, they came from the old world, and I got to sit down with him, and I got to make amends. Um, you know, the uh, the life that I came from, um, we, we talk a lot about, you know, I got life back in a program, and I didn't. I didn't. Um, my life that I had, what it could have been, maybe, um, nothing compared to what my life has become, what my life in sobriety is. Uh, if I made a list of the things that I thought my life was going to be by getting sober, I would have sold myself so short. Um, you know, I went on to, to have a career, to get a college degree, to have a career, um, to be respected by my peers in the industry, uh, to, to be one of the kind of you know, we're alcoholics, right? We have to work twice as hard because we know we're going to screw up, right? So, um, you know, I, I got to become the guy that gets sent places to solve problems that other people don't. Um, because they can trust me. I got a, a boss that 
you know, Slap told me, you know, I've got two of you that, yeah, I can't count on you guys to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, not to save my life, but if we've got something that needs to get done and there's no one else I can count on to do it, one of you guys is going. And, and I don't lose a bit of sleep over it. You'll get the job done. And um, that was not me. <laughs> that was not me growing up. But, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, I've been... I got to cut the umbilical cord of my daughter when she was born. And I got to go through losing her of sobriety and um, probably will never see her again. Might be God's will that we get, you know, she comes seeking me, but it might not. Um, I've been married a couple of times and I'm working on a second divorce. Um, I've seen some beautiful magical moments in my recovery and I've suffered some tragic losses but I go through all of them one day at a time without drinking and using um, I'd love to have a funny story or, or, or something but you know life is just life on life's terms it's not always going to be great and it's not always going to be bad the beauty of it is it's clean and sober I get to go through it every bit of it I get to experience it all and um, learn from it all. Um, I get to make great friends. Um, just, uh, just this, I, I, I was never the kind of guy, until the last few years, I've always been the guy that drifts over to different meetings and different places. Um, never, never was committed to a home group for very long at a time. And um, so last night, there were some guys got together sent an email hey let's go for a ride there's a meeting up in Pine Flat I was like wow I didn't know they had a meeting in Pine Flat didn't, didn't know they even had a, a, a legion hall in Pine Flat for that matter but so we hopped on the bike and we rode up there and I walked through the door and there are two people there that I know well <laughs> I've gone to places I've gone to, you know I went to uh, the international convention in 2010 and um hadn't even gone inside the register yet before I ran into people that I'd known. Um, from not, not from around here, but know them, see them at least once a year. Um, the, when the book says, you know, you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny, we are all over the place. Um, and it is just a miracle to know that no matter where I am or whatever I'm doing, um, at any moment I, I'm able to look up and see a face that I recognize and know that I am not alone in what I'm going through. Um, that there's always some of us from the program within reach. Um, there will always be somebody when I'm feeling like nobody knows how I feel that I can look at and talk to and they'll shake their head and go, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I can get through absolutely anything with this. Somebody was sharing just before this meeting about uh, wanting to share some, a, a great event that they had, one of their successes, and there was nobody there. And it's like, well, they weren't turning to alcoholics. If they'd have picked up the phone to call an alcoholic and tell them about it, we'd have been there. There's always somebody there to share my successes with. There's always somebody there to share my pain with. There's always somebody there that will tell me it's okay today. And one day at a time you can get through anything. 
you can learn from this. And uh, I am truly, truly grateful to a God that, quite honestly, I don't understand, but I am fully convinced He made me exactly the way I am. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing today. And, um, you know, that that's wonderful to know when I'm doing something great like this. But when I'm having one of those moments when I'm in fear, when I'm sad, and I can think for a moment and know that I'm exactly where God wants me right this minute, it's going to be okay. Nothing is going to happen that I can't walk through with His help. And it makes anything possible. Um, and See, normally I run out of time before I run out of... Well, quite frankly, before I get out of the fourth step, now I'm out of story and I've got time left. Absolutely. Um, Does anybody have any questions about this? Uh, something like, why in the heck did they have you come up here? Um, <laughs> there you go. There's, there's fun. Um, when I joined that motorcycle club fifth chapter, part of being in a uh, motorcycle club is having a road name. And I had the uh, normie who turned out not to be a normie that I was involved with, broke up with, involved with, broke up with. Um, I, I started going to Codependence Anonymous in addition to AA. And so when they gave me a road name with the fifth chapter, they said, you're going to be caretaker. <laughs> That's going to remind you of exactly where you came from, and you don't have to do that anymore. What's on your t-shirt? Fresno. Yeah, we don't have. I was. See, I was like thinking I was going to run into some of my uh, Fresno County young people. Uh, last year, one of those wonderful minutes, thank you very much, that I, I've gotten to enjoy in my recovery. Last year in uh, Fresno, um, I got involved with Fresno County Young Peoples. Actually, I got involved the year before, but they won Aki, uh, the All-County Young Peoples AA event for Fresno. And so I became member at large for the Aki uh, and uh, got to experience my, uh, well, it was the year that I got sober, Akipa was, it was the last time Akipa was in Fresno. And I wasn't there, I was way too spun, or else I was chasing the redhead. But, um, last year, I got to attend Akipa in Fresno and be a part of it, help put it on, and serve my fellow alcoholics by helping them have a great time and fun and sobriety. And I'm still a part of Akipa. And uh, and um, down this way you have Tookie Paw, and I strongly recommend you get involved. Um, young people say, like you say, when I got here, I didn't understand the losses they were talking about. Uh, there was no career to lose or whatever, but I did understand this loss of self and the suffering that I went through. And in young people's, had we had it then, I would have been able to find people who understand what that suffering inside is like and being young and feeling even misunderstood in a group of people whose story is all about being misunderstood. Um, 
So I strongly recommend young people to you, and you do have it down here with Tookie Pie. But uh, I, it has been my pleasure and honor in the last couple of years of my sobriety to be heavily involved in the young people's and help carry this message to people who might otherwise be like I was sitting in that meeting at uh, 17, 18 years old and feeling like they didn't get it and I don't understand. So, but thank you, Greg. Okay. Um, I am going to quit now while I am ahead. Thank you all for being here.